0: Titus chapter one and let's begin at verse nine holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, Is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. My friends, we're looking at uh, some of these verses uh, this evening uh, from Titus chapter 1, and my subject is uh, false teachers. False teachers, I'm sorry. We have to sometimes address this subject. It's not the most pleasant subject to address, and it's not something that I enjoy to do so much. I'd much rather talk about something that is positive. But uh, in expository preaching, that's what you have to do. And it's good for me, and it's good for you. And it's in, if it's in the Word, it's good for us to, uh, to hear it as well. And so we come across uh, this topic for today, uh, the, the false teaching, and false teachers, and how we, we can uh, identify them. Talk about identity politics, and how can we identify, not people, but how can we identify uh, false prophets and false teachers. And uh, also, we're going to see how we, we should deal uh, with such people. These are not people we're talking about outside the church. They're obvious, isn't it? False teachers are outside the church, but well, we know people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the cult groups. We know where they stand and we can pinpoint clearly their errors and we're not going to be taken in by them because we have a, a, a firm hold on the truth and we know where they go astray. But we're talking here mainly about those within the church, those who have come into the church and are seeking to influence Uh, people with wrong teaching and wrong messages for ulterior uh, purposes. There were were many such people in in, in the New Testament times, and so Paul, as we see here, uh, he has to address uh, this issue. The dangers uh, that that were posed by these uh, uh, false teachers then must be made known. It's uh, they were getting into people's uh, homes uh, they were subverting as we read whole houses they were turning people away uh, from the faith they were overthrowing the faith of some people of whole households whole families so they were doing uh, great uh, damage and as and there was a great need for Titus and the other elders and pastors uh, in these local churches to be aware of what was happening and also how they should uh, deal with them well it's the same isn't it today uh, we live in a time uh, when uh, infiltration is taking place in so many different ways and we're not just talking about people actually coming into the church and uh, and uh, spreading false things within the church that still happens but now much more even through social media with the TV in our rooms and the computers there Now these false teachers, through online ministries, are being able to get whole households and to get to people. Uh, And you have even now the God Channel, which is watched by so many uh, Christians. And uh, again, influencing uh, people uh, outside of the church environment and allowing uh, people are allowing these kinds of teachings to come into their homes. So these false teachers really friends, they they must uh, be stopped. Uh, They need to be stopped. Uh, They needed to be stopped then, and they need also uh, to be stopped uh, now. Well, uh, there's a battle, isn't it, uh, going on for the truth. There's a battle for the truth then, and how much more uh, even now? There is a battle that is still raging uh, for the truth. There are so many unhealthy doctrines. There are... Uh, so many errors uh, which are still around and even more so we could say we know that right from the very beginning the devil ever since he he entered uh, surreptitiously as it were into the into the garden of eden and there tricked and deceived eve with those words hath god said he put that doubt into eve's mind and ever since then he's been doing the same uh, putting doubts and he lives up to his character that he is a liar right from the very beginning. And he is a deceiver. And uh, uh, he transforms himself into an angel of light to deceive people. But we, we know that since the coming of Christ, there's been an increase even of his activity. And even ever since uh, the establishment of the church and the New Testament church, he has been uh, trying his level best. He's increased his. And the number of deceptions that he is putting out there and trying uh, to s- t- take people away uh, from the truth. So all the more necessary it is for us uh, to be uh, on our guard, and all the more necessary it is uh, for us to contend earnestly for the faith, just as uh, uh, was said uh, to Jew: contend earnestly uh, for the faith once delivered unto the saints. It's under attack. In this, in, in this sly ways, uh, the devil will come in through error, error in teaching, error also in practice, and seek to draw away uh, people from the truth. So we have to be uh, on the watch. And this is what Paul was instructing uh, Titus uh, to do, and uh, what he was instructing the elders and the pastors in these local churches in Crete, This is what you have to do, because there are many false teachers, Uh, he says here in verse 10, there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, not just one or two uh, on that island, but many, especially those of the circumcision, Well, who were there? They, well, we know that they were uh, Jews, and uh, these Jews who had uh, come come alongside and attached themselves uh, to these local churches. In some sense, you could say, well, they were favorably disposed to uh, uh, to the gospel and favorable, favorably disposed to uh, Christianity, but they were not fully persuaded of it. And they were those who placed themselves alongside the church and probably even joined in the worship in the church, but they were not uh, of the same faith, really, and they didn't have the same Uh, Gospel as uh, the the believers there because they were really only there to influence the believers. They got in among them with a view to influencing them and so they had this ulterior uh, motive. They taught another gospel. They didn't teach the gospel that you and I know, salvation by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. They didn't teach that. They taught a salvation plus gospel. You need to be trusting Christ, yes, but you also need to be circumcised. You must be so. Without circumcision, you cannot go to heaven. You must have that. Christ is not enough. Christ plus the commandments of men. Here, verse 14, you can see uh, that. Or Christ plus the Old Testament dietary rules. In uh, verse 15, that's what it's referring to. And they taught this Christ-plus gospel, uh, which uh, is different from the Christ-only gospel that Paul preached and Peter preached and the apostles confirmed uh, this is the same gospel that we preach. Well, they were getting in amongst, uh, especially, there were other groups, but they, especially Paul, here singles out, uh, were causing particular uh, harm. And the pastors and the elders, of these local churches, well, they had to deal with these uh, false teachers. To stop their mouths, to gag them, as it were, to to put a muzzle on them, uh, to give them no place, so that uh, their their deceptions uh, wouldn't uh, spread. Let them have no role in preaching. Don't give them a mouth to speak. Don't give them a platform. Don't invite them onto the pulpit uh, to, uh, to give a talk. Don't uh, allow them to take your Bible studies. Don't allow them to even teach your Sunday school children. Don't give them a voice that they are to be uh, silenced. Well, friends, uh, even here we can see a little bit of an application for us. You know, today there are some, uh, some uh, Christians who are very big on cell groups and very keen to break up into little cell groups and not a lead cell group Bible study, where there's one person who studies the Word and uh, expounds it and teaches it as we are doing tonight. But uh, a cell group, a study group, where everyone comes to study the Bible and to give their opinion on the Bible and that passage which they are studying at that time. So around they go, they all sit in a circle, and round people go one by one, what do you think of this passage, what do you think? And I, they come up with different opinions. And the leader often says, you're right, you're right, you're right to to everyone, and hardly ever says, you're wrong. And you get all these mixed up opinions uh, which are uh, put forward. I'm sure if we did that kind of a format, I think we would have a lot more people here. People want to be able to express their own view. One or two have even said to me, I like this kind of Bible study where I can uh, mention uh, these kind of mention what I think, and so on. But friends, that's dangerous because you're opening up the, the church as well to anyone's view instead of uh, somebody who's actually gone away and studied these things. And uh, so uh, we're not really in favor of that kind of uh, Bible study. <clears throat> but uh, there were many, as we said, uh, false teachers uh, here in the, in, New, in the New Testament times. And also, there are many false teachers uh, today. Now, we've not made such great progress uh, that we can come to a state where we can say uh, the truth has so prevailed with us that we, are, we don't need to be on the watch anymore. That the truth has made such an advance that the church is in such a good state and that the, the truth has such a hold over the people that even if the devil came as an angel of light, he wouldn't be able to deceive uh, people. We cannot say that because it's not true. Uh, Satan himself uh, hasn't ceased to deceive. As we've said, he's intensifying his efforts to deceive the church. And the Lord said, isn't it, in the last days, uh, deception will be rife. And he, he also said, in the last days, many In Matthew's Gospel, many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Deception will be uh, prevalent in the last days. One of the signs of the end times uh, is uh, this kind of uh, deception. So there's been, in fact, an exponential increase in false teachers instead of a decrease as time has gone on. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, again from within the the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So uh, Peter as well warning about uh, many uh, false teachers arising. My well, friends, uh, many dam- damnable heresies, he said, I think one of these doctrines of devils, which, uh, which is about, and we see so often mentioned in church circles, sounds very simple, this, and sounds very nice, but I think it's when people say, do not judge. I think when people nowadays are using the phrase, do not judge, I think that's almost devilish to say it like that, because it's saying, don't uh, discern. Accept everyone. Don't be unkind to cut people off. Don't be a critical person. Uh, don't uh, let, let love, uh, love must uh, prevail. What's most important is uh, that the unity. We must preserve uh, these things. You mustn't ruffle the boat. You mustn't shake, uh, shake the, the, the circumstances. You mustn't cause a tremor. Uh, you must just allow uh, uh, go for smooth things. Don't judge people. Don't judge that preacher. That's not right. Uh, don't judge that preacher. He's preaching the gospel after all. Oh yes, he's preaching a gospel. But he is also a preacher, on the other hand, who denies maybe penal atonement, penal substitution. Or is a, is a preacher who denies uh, the sufficiency of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, on the other hand. Are we not to examine and judge uh, people because of this? Oh, but he's a pastor, he's a preacher who's concerned for unity. And he speaks a lot about unity. Yes, but on the other hand, he speaks of unity with Rome. He speaks of ecumenism. Can we not uh, be aware of that? Should we not be concerned? Oh, people are telling us now, don't judge the Asbury revival. The revival that's happening in Asbury uh, University there in Kentucky, which I'm sure you heard about, and we've mentioned it uh, a bit uh, briefly. And uh, students there, by the, th- well, students there for the last three weeks or so have, have been uh, gathering together in, in the community hall there on, on campus and having one big praise gathering. And people are saying it's a revival, and people from all over America are flocking there by the, uh, the thousands to, to, to see what is happening. And they go in and they're saying, oh, we feel the presence of God here we want a revival, we pray for revival, we long for a revival we wish there was a revival but shall we just accept what we hear and what we see on, on, uh, on the uh, uh, TV and on YouTube and so on shall we just accept it as people are telling us to do no friends, we have to judge we have to examine these things, we have to think about these things is this really a biblical revival which is taking place, well what, let's think a little bit about it What's happening there? What's happening? Well, there's a lot of emotional singing that's going on. There's a lot of hand-raising that's going on. There's a lot of jumping, a number of people jumping up and down as a sign as if they were filled uh, with the Spirit. The songs that they sing and repeat again and again and again, a lot of them are Hillsong songs. This, Well, this is already ringing some alarm bells, isn't it? And then they think, look at the preaching. Well, there's very little, little preaching there. There's very little uh, mention of sin. And women are preaching as well. And also, it's being led, we could say. It's a student-led revival. It's uh, students are leading the world. Well, God can move with, among students. We know that. But students are students. <laughs> students are like, our novices are still. They're, they're still young uh, in uh, the faith. If they're there at all, many of them are just confessing to actually come to the faith and being touched by the Lord. But uh, these, these things uh, need somebody who's really mature, isn't it? You, you would think who would be behind it. And then you look at some of the people who are backing it. Fran- Francis Chan and uh, Rick Warren are confirming in, in and uh, giving their backing to the, this kind of revival. And all these things make you think, well, it's not It's not biblical. It can't be of the Lord when very scriptural doctrines are, the, the Spirit, as it were, is bypassing in this particular revival. So, we're friends, we have to judge. We have to judge. Otherwise, the devil comes in and uh, in through the back door in these kinds of ways. All of us, not just the leaders and elders, but all believers need uh, to be discerning, to judge righteous judgment, to Examine things and to think about uh, things that they hear and see. Remember uh, how uh, the Lord taught his disciples in Matthew 7 uh, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Now, before you can carry out that injunction, you first have to do a bit of discerning. You first have to work out, well, who exactly are the dogs? before you decide not to give them that which is holy. And then you have to discern, well, who are exactly are these swine? Who are they referring to? What kind of people before you decide not to cast your pearls uh, to them? So we, have, we cannot be naive friends. We need to be discerning. Believe everyone, they say, and you believe nothing at all. <laughs> and I think that's uh, true. But coming back to our text, uh, verse uh, 10 Uh, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and uh, deceivers. Paul gives us here this description of false teachers. This is how you can identify them. And uh, what a contrast, isn't it, they are when you compare them with that uh, list of qualities uh, which an elder uh, must have. And these ones are so very different. Firstly, just briefly we'll look at them. A uh, false teacher is here identified as unruly, uh, that is, ins- insubordinate. Somebody who is uh, somewhat stubborn, somebody who refuses uh, to submit. The same word was used in verse six about uh, the children. The eldest children must not be accused of riot or unruly. They must uh, they must be submissive. And these false teachers, well. Uh, they come into the churches and they refuse to submit uh, to the leaders in the church. They refuse to submit to the Word of God, primarily. They are a law unto themselves. They don't want to uh, fit in with the way that things are done in the church. They don't want to submit to other people. Uh, they want to. They have their own agenda, they have their own way of thinking. And they're very stubborn and very hard to change their minds and to change their way of thinking. So very different from uh, what conversion does in a believer. When the Lord changes us, one of the marks of a believer is that he learns to submit. He may have been insubordinate before. He may have been a rebel before, but he learns to submit. He learns to submit to to come under authority, he, he becomes a peacemaker, maybe before he was a troublemaker, but now uh, he learns to, to yield to others, to, uh, whether it's in, in the church or in the terms, uh, even at home with a wife, with a husband, or as uh, citizens uh, in, our, in the country, as uh, Paul goes on to say there in chapter 3, he's learned uh, to, and is learning to submit. But then another characteristic of these false teachers is that they are vain uh, talkers. They speak empty words, profitless words. There's nothing of real spiritual depth in what they say. There's no real spiritual profit when you listen uh, to them. Uh, Verse 14 tells us they also spoke of fables and the commandments of men about uh, washings and eatings and the the outward rites uh, of the Jewish uh, religion. And 1 Timothy one four tells us they also engage in talk about endless genealogies. <laughs> what, what spiritual benefit is that going to bring to me uh, to hear about these things? They may have been very eloquent and they may have been very captivating in the way they told these stories and these things, but it was profitless. It didn't help uh, spiritually. It didn't edify uh, the people. And then also they are described as deceivers. uh, Mind misleaders. (laughs) Mind misleaders. Deliberately out to trick people. Imposters and fraudsters. They were out to make merchandise of the people. That was their motive. Verse 11. They did it for filthy lucre's sake. They did it uh, for money. They did it uh, for, for gain gain was godliness uh, to them and uh, sadly there are many uh, such preachers uh, even uh, today isn't it we are familiar with so many who pretend uh, to preach the gospel but really uh, they are uh, after your money really they're after out to just enrich uh, themselves they persuade you to buy uh, their books maybe with the promise that uh they have found the secret to a victorious Christian life. And so you are persuaded, oh, I must get this book. Uh, and, but really, they're, uh, they're telling you things which you probably you can find in the Scriptures for yourself. Or well, they promise, as I've heard before, to pray personally for you if you send a donation in uh, to them. And only if. Well, that's a money-making scheme. And you have one, one man, and he deceived Thousands of people around the world he used to go from country to country and uh, uh, preach. But thousands used to uh, listen to him. And uh, uh, he, used to, he sent out one day a letter saying, Send in your prayer request with your donation, and I will go to Israel. I'll be going to Mount Olivet, and I will take your prayer request, and I'll pray there uh, for you personally. But how could he do that with thousands of uh, of, of people's names, but it was a deception. It's all a money-making uh, scheme. but Friends, uh, we are not like that. By God's grace and then conversion again, I come back to it. Like how vital is we see we're seeing that these people are showing themselves really to be unconverted people. Conversion changes our attitude towards money. We don't speak about this so much when we talk about conversion, but I do think it's. It's a very valid point as well that what God does Uh, before maybe we come to the Lord, we're covetous and we hold on tightly uh, to our money. We're we're a bit misers maybe with our money but when we're converted the Lord changes us and we have a different attitude uh, towards money. We're not those who just keep everything uh, for ourselves. We hold on to it uh, in a looser way than before. Conversion makes us more generous with what God has given to us. We don't just think about ourselves and our family. You know, we have to do that, of course, to a, a certain degree. But now there is a, a different attitude. We're not putting all our eggs into getting as much uh, into one basket by trying to get as much as we can uh, for ourselves and our future. No, we, we think uh, differently. So we, we thank God uh, for full conversion. But verse 11 as said already, these false teachers were getting access into believers' homes and uh, subverting them, undermining and overthrowing the faith of some of these uh, families, causing great spiritual harm. And the elders, well, they had to stop uh, their mouths, they had to stop them from getting their message across. They had to be silenced. The, those households needed protection. Those believers needed protection. Just recently, last couple of days, we were reminded again of COVID and uh, we, uh, the lockdown and should it have happened and should have, shouldn't it have happened and so on. But we know that when it did happen, it was put into place as a means of protection. That disease, that infection, that COVID could so easily spread from one place to another, uh, to another place, from one person to another person by, by contact, by communication. So let's uh, uh, bring in the lockdown. They said, protect households, protect people, and then uh, limit the amount of communication that there is. Otherwise, this virus is going to spread far and wide and kill and hurt and harm more people, and uh, or even more people and. This is, like, like false doctrine is like that. False teaching is like that. If it's not stopped, if it's not kept in check, it will just spread and spread and spread and do more and more damage. It must, as it were, be held in in lockdown. It must, as it were, uh, be uh, held at bay. It must be uh, stopped. Otherwise, it will do uh, more damage uh, to others. The local church... It's not just houses, it's, we're thinking more of the local church has to be protected and uh, from these kinds of things. They can cause schisms and divisions uh, within the church. And so pastors and elders especially uh, who have the spiritual care of the church well, have to be concerned uh, to protect that unity of the church and the peace of it and uh, the, the faith of those who are uh, attending. But all of us are con- concerned uh, in this way and should be concerned. For well, those who promote doctrinal error within it uh, must be silenced. And how is this to be done? Well, through persuasion. Verse 9 uh, tells us they were to exhort, to convince the, the gainsayers. But also verse 13 tells us through rebuke. And if they, if they persist in it, if false teachers persist in maintaining their stand and, 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 and still seek to influence others, then they ought to be rejected. And chapter 3 and verse 10 a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject and be, be separated from them. Well, I move on to verse 12. And here Paul as well gives us, he also moves on from specifically from false teachers to a general description of the cretans he doesn't use here his own words but he picks up on the words of a one of their own poets Uh, one of themselves even a prophet of their own said the cretians are always liars evil beasts and slow bellies well uh, who was this person Uh, apparently it's somebody called Epi, Epimenides, who lived in the uh, 6th century uh, BC. But he also was a, Cret- Cret- uh, a Cretan, and uh, these are his own words. He uses these terrible words to describe uh, his own countrymen. The Cretans are always liars, there is pathological liars, they're fibbers, they're habitual liars, uh, they're infamous uh, for, for lying. It was said at, those, at that time uh, to play the Cretan was equivalent to saying to somebody you're telling a lie or you're a liar. Uh, and this is what they were well known for. Evil beasts. Well that, uh, that refers uh, to the, their, their characters ferocious. They were like wild beasts. They were ferocious. Violent, uh, t- violent with their tempers. Brutal. Lacking any refinement lacking any civ- civility amongst them uh, slow bellies that is given uh, to gluttony and the sensual pleasures and also uh, to uh, slot, uh, sloth this, this is the kind of people that they, were, that they were and we cannot tar all the Cretans with the same brush but generally this was the case with them this was their national identity this is what how they were known and Paul must have seen these things for himself, firsthand, because uh, he says uh, also in verse thirteen, "These witness is true." Well, friends, as we come to a close, what can we learn uh, from uh, these things which are said? Firstly, here uh, we can learn God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace that even His grace would reach. Uh, these Cretan people who are so known uh, and infamous for lying and for their ferocity uh, and for their sensuality. And yet even here, the gospel of God's grace reaches them. That poet, he wrote those words in the 6th century BC, 600 years. 600 years they've maintained this kind of a name and a stereotype, and a true stereotype it, it was of them. This is what they're like humanism couldn't change them self-improvement programs couldn't change them but the gospel did the gospel came and changed uh, their lives and churches were established uh, in crete and there were many uh, trophies uh, of grace uh, uh, obtained uh, in that place what an encouragement friends uh, to us that the gospel that we proclaim today is of the same power the same nature and no matter how ferocious and how wicked and evil people are in this land, still the gospel can, be, can reach them and change them and make them better people. Well, we observe also from this text that though they were converted, a number of them still had these traits. A number of them still had these vices uh, with which uh, they were dealing with. It was deeply rooted uh, in them. And while conversion had changed them and broken that hold that it had over them, yet still they retained something of that that national characteristic. And it spoke of their need for sanctification and their need uh, for further character change. And character change doesn't happen overnight. Conversion is somewhat immediate, but character changing... Uh, takes uh, takes a lot longer it's a lot longer process than uh, conversion and that's why titus is instructed and the other elders uh, in the churches there uh, had to deal with these believers paul says uh, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith they still retained some of this stubbornness that was in them though they were believers they still retained some of this nastiness and so they had to be uh, dealt with in a sharp, with sharp rebukes. Uh, the word rebuke there is to cut with a knife. Like a surgeon, uh, when he has to cut into uh, into flesh, he has to cut gently but deeply uh, with that knife. And so also uh, uh, these leaders were to administer uh, severe rebukes to deal uh, with uh, these people in this particular way, this is what the kind of admonition that was needed for them uh, it's not true for other other churches, perhaps the church in Ephesus. The people were of a different nature, and they didn't need such a severe rebukes, but they were perhaps more uh, gentle and needed to be dealt with in a in a better way. perhaps they were more uh, teachable and so could be dealt with with a more gentle approach uh, to them. And so it's a lesson as well here uh, for preachers and pastors. We don't deal with everyone in the same way. We have to uh, think about where people are coming from, what kind of people uh, we are dealing with. With some, with most, uh, will be gentleness and with patience. But where there may be some times when we have to be uh, firm with others. And what we say to them and sometimes a measure even of severity, of rebuke that has, as Paul says here, so all these things uh, are, are things that we need uh, to think about so all, of course, with a view Paul says uh, to uh, believers being sound in the faith and that's our aim, that's what we strive for, that uh, we as a church as individual believers and as a local church may also Be sound in the faith.